That is an absolute tonight. You can't say that about a lot of things. Uh, maybe life uh, has been good to you at times, and maybe your job has been good to you at times. Uh, maybe other things, family has been good to you at times, but we can also count on the other hand where maybe life hasn't always been good and our job hasn't always been good, but there's one thing for sure. We know God is good and God has been good in our life tonight. It is good to see you here and glad to have you back on a Sunday night. And I know it's hot outside and it's hard for folks to get out. Uh, I don't know that I, I told my class I've ever seen a forecast when it was all 100s uh, across the extended uh, forecast there. But uh, God's still good, amen. Uh, it could be 110, all right? 106 is bad. It could be 110. Uh, and I've been places where it's been 110, so I thank God for that. I got to ask you a question before we get into the spiritual stuff tonight. Uh, I got to ask you a question, all right? How many of you saw the bug on the wall this morning? Raise your hand. All right, you put your hands down. I was assuming everybody saw it, all right? There was this very large bug right over here by the vent. And uh, during the handshake, and with AJ, with the Michael, brother Zach and I were trying to decide do we kill it? Uh, the question was, if we kill it, how much of a distraction is that going to be? Uh, you know, taking out a flagpole and whacking this bug upon the wall. Uh, and then our thought was, what if we just leave it alone? What if we leave it alone? Uh, but then we figured the devil would stir the bug up and it would fly and land on someone. And I just have to tell you, a bug lands on someone during the service, it's over. The spirit has been quenched. It is invitation time. And so all throughout the message, I kept looking this morning to see who was looking over at the wall, uh, worried that very large bug was going to come and land on uh, someone. But thanks to the Lord, I think there was an angel there this morning who just held it still, and he didn't move. And one of, some of our guys, they were having a contest after church uh, to try to kill the bug. Who killed the bug, by the way? Uh, nobody wants to fess up to it. Well, one of our guys, probably one of the girls didn't. One of the girls killed the bugs, probably who it was. <laughs> one of our guys, I'm not doing it. Uh, but uh, anyway, I was just curious who saw the bug uh, this morning. I was worried that was going to distract our service. So now that we've got the unspiritual stuff out of the way, Titus, uh, the book of Titus, chapter number two, if you'll be turning there. Titus, chapter number two. Great music today. Thank the Lord for those who work in that. And uh, boy, I enjoyed uh, that offering, Tori, Miss Annabrook. That was wonderful. I uh, love that song, Love Lifted Me. Love Lifted Me. Boy, you look at the words, the, the, the lyrics of that song. Someone understood what they were writing. Uh, Titus chapter 2, if you're there, let's stand together. Look down to verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. I'm going to read down through about uh, verse number 13 and get down to a very familiar passage. I want to encourage you tonight. I really do. Uh, this morning we talked about a heavy topic of the judgment of God uh, and the coming judgment of God, I believe, on our country uh, and then the judgment after this life that is coming. Both of them, uh, I think, are, are unavoidable, one for sure. Uh, but I believe tonight I want to give you something that will encourage you, uh, even with those things on the horizon. It will help you to function uh, in Titus 2. Look down to verse 11, if you would. The Bible says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Thank the Lord for that. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's ask the Lord for help tonight. Father, I do thank you. Lord, for your goodness in our life, and Lord, there's not anything we can say has always been good to us, but you have, and I'm thankful you're the good shepherd and do so much good for us. 
Father, thank you for the opportunity to open the word again tonight. Lord, I pray you'd speak through it. Lord, I need you to speak to me. Uh, Father, I pray our church, Lord, we would hear from you tonight and be changed. That, Lord, Father, as we look forward, Lord, knowing you're coming back, and Lord, knowing there's a judgment on the other side of your appearing, that, Father, we would do all that we can in the time that we have, uh, Lord, to accomplish your will and to become all that you would expect us to be. When you do appear, help us tonight through your word. Give us grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we did talk about the coming of the Lord and the coming judgment that I believe our country is facing. Uh, I Honestly, I'm not a pessimist. You know that. Uh, I like to believe that we can have a revival here at Central Baptist Church, maybe a revival in, in a Mississippi, maybe even a regional revival. I don't know in the southeast United States. I, I don't know, but it seems the darker this thing gets and the more progressive our society gets, progressing, by the way, away from God, Oftentimes, we frame the word being progressive as a good thing, but can I tell you, if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, progress is not a good idea. You get, some of you just got that. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. When I hear our society talking about we want to be a progressive country and a progressive society, I'm thinking, yes, we're standing on the precipice of, of, of being wiped out as a country, and we want to take that extra step to progress over. But as you look at our country and the shape that we're in tonight, uh, I'm afraid that uh, as we draw closer and closer to the coming of the Lord, uh, you're going to see less and less opportunity uh, for a worldwide revival for sure, and maybe even a nationwide revival. Bible, and uh, that's, that's heartbreaking, to be honest with you. I remember when I started preaching as a teenager, yes, I was young and, and a lot more ignorant than I am now, but there was still a, a faith and belief that our country could once again rise up and have a great revival, and maybe we can. The grace of God absolutely could make that possible, but I don't know about you, but I'm staring down the coming of the Lord. Uh, that is something that is on the calendar of my heart and my mind like it never has been before. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy life. I really do. I enjoy living. I enjoy time with my family. I enjoy traveling and new experiences. I enjoy uh, getting to preach. I enjoy all of those things. So it's not that I'm ready to get that over with. But when you look at our world, the appearing of our Lord, it just seems is very imminent. Uh, almost crossing the line to immediate. It just seems that we are staring that down. But here's what I want to help you with a little bit tonight. It's not just getting to that point that matters. You know, boy, if I can just hold out until Jesus comes and if I can just struggle through. Uh, somebody told me the other day, how you doing? They said, well, I'm on the struggle bus. I'm like, well, I like that. I think all of us have taken a ride on the struggle bus before at some point in our life. And we're going to struggle. But the goal is not just to live from here to the coming of the Lord on the struggle bus. That's not the will of God. Matter of fact, it's not just making it to that point and getting to that point. It's how we get there. You know, there is a person that God is expecting of us to be when he arrives. Uh, when you look up uh, in the Word of God, the New Testament, look up the word appearing. You'll find it mentioned about six times. Uh, five of those six times are mentioned in Timothy and Titus. Talking about the appearing of the Lord. The appearing of the Lord ought to be a motivator, not a discourager. All right? The appearing of the Lord and the Lord coming back and the imminence of that, realizing that moment is closer than we realize. Listen to me. The old Chinese proverb is still true. It's later than you think. It's later than you think. And the coming of the Lord should not scare us. Now, listen to me. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be like. I really don't. Uh, I wish he'd give us a few seconds warning, that way I could take my wife by one hand and my daughter by the other hand and we go together. Uh, the odds are we're not going to be together. I'll probably be in Walmart or something, not what I pictured. 
I, I always picture it. Maybe nice behind the pulpit, strike the pose. Here we go. We're out of here. No, I'm probably going to be at the gas station getting an icy or something. I'm on an icy kick lately. You know, I go up to the Chevron and get me an icy every once in a while. And the trouble of God sounds, how am I going to find my wife? And my do- I don't know how all that's going to work, to be honest with you. And boy, thinking about that is a little bit frightening. But the coming of the Lord is not something necessarily that should just frighten us. It should be motivating us. That if he is coming, what do I want to be doing and how do I want to be living when he gets here at his appearing? Uh, we played a game with the kids at camp this summer, and uh, it goes back to the Olympics. We talked about it. I kind of give them a backstory on that. And we had all the groups, the red group, green group, all the groups, get just, just a wad of humanity, all right? The red group here, green group here, yellow, blue over here. And we gave them a candle. And what we were doing was we were reenacting the Olympic torch run. Uh, back in the Olympic days, uh, you weren't just running with the torch like we do now to get it to the cauldron and light the cauldron. It was actually part of the race in the Olympics. And as you ran with that torch, you had to get where you were going, but the goal was not just getting there. The goal was getting there with the torch still lit. And so we kind of had a little obstacle course for the kids to run. They had to go down and around the basketball goal and come back. And as soon as their candle went out, they had to stop and relight it. Because the goal wasn't just to go down there and make it back. The goal was to go down there and make it back with their candle burning. All right? It's a lot similar in the Christian life. The goal is not just to get on the struggle bus and ride to the coming of the Lord and say, oh, 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 I made it. That's not the goal. Now, there are times we feel like that. That's, that's honest, all right? We are living in an evil, wicked world, and there are times we are going to get weary in well-doing or else he would have told us not to be weary in well-doing. All right? You're going to get weary in well-doing. That's why he said it twice, Galatians 6. Be not weary in well-doing. You're going to get tired. It's going to be hard. But the goal is not just to make it to the appearing of the Lord. We're not supposed to just survive until we get there. We are supposed to thrive until we get there. And you're thinking tonight, all right, look, you lost me there. I'm just going to be glad to get to the coming of the Lord. Can I tell you, when you get there, God expects something of us. When he comes back and he's appearing, he's looking for something, and he outlines in his word what he's looking for. That's why we come to church and we learn about those things. But here's what I want to help you with tonight. Between here and there, the appearing of the Lord, between now and whenever that is, there's unknowns, right? Who knows? There's unknowns, things we're going to face in our society. There will be trials between here and there. Uh, There's going to be opportunities between here and there. There's going to be expectations of God between here and there. You're like, wait a minute now. Not only do I have to make it to that point, but I have to be a certain person doing certain things, living a certain way until I get there. Yeah, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. Now, folks, don't lose me tonight. I want to encourage you a little bit. So this morning we talked about the judgment of God and the journey toward judgment, and we are on our way as a nation. We are on our way. I don't know if we can turn this thing around in the United States. By the grace of God, we could. But I'm just going to tell you, we are marching, we are almost running toward the judgment of God by the way that our country is living and the decisions that our government are making, all right? By the way, we're a government of the people, all right? We can't blame them up there. we got to reach the people if you want to change the government. And the government is who they are because of the people that oftentimes we haven't reached yet. But how do we get there? And be pleasing to the Lord upon his appearing. Well, I want to show you something. Look down to verse 11. The Bible says, watch this, for the grace of God. Look down to verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. 
Now, I believe verse number 11 is outlining for us the indispensable truth and the necessity in the Christian life that is going to get us all the way to the appearing, and it's right there in verse 11. What is it? The Bible says, for the grace of God. Now, stick with me tonight. I believe this is something that will encourage you. Sometimes we think of grace as a temporal thing, meaning that uh, for by the grace of God, I was saved. Thank God for grace. But listen, grace is not temporal. Grace is not disposable. Grace is continual. All right? When you got saved, that was the beginning of the grace of God in your life, and I'm thankful for that. For by grace am I saved. It was not my works, my baptism, my heritage. It was none of that. For by the grace of God, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Hey, that's something to smile about right there, all right? I mean, you talk about grace is not controversial. We can smile about that one. By the grace of God, I was saved. But watch this. The grace of God is not disposable. That, all right, well, I, I'm glad I, thank you, Grace, I appreciate that, now I'm going to move on. No, 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 you move on with Grace. You've got to have the grace of God to get you not only to the place, but the way that God would have you as he, at his appearing. So tonight, here's what I want to help you with, just for a few minutes, these three verses hold three beautiful points on the great lengths of grace. The great lengths of grace, okay? And I want to show you how the grace of God will carry us regardless of what God calls us to, okay? Now, this is wonderful. Every one of us have a general calling of God on our life uh, as a child of God, the Great Commission. That's something we are all called to. You can't say, well, uh, I'm called to be a missionary, but I'm, I'm not called to the Great Commission. No, we're all called to, be, to the Great Commission. It doesn't matter what you're called to and the differences of callings in your life. We are all called to fulfill the Great Commission. How do we do that? We're going to do that by grace, but then individually. There are works that God desires to do through each and every one of us. Uh, works, now some of you are moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. There's jobs and callings that God has on your life that he's going to have on nobody else's life. By the way, does that make you feel special? The, the almighty God in heaven wants to use us to fulfill his calling. Now, how do we do that? How are we to become sufficient for all that God calls us to? Now, <laughs> Look, I'm not trying to load your plate tonight, but watch this. Not only are we called to be things, that means that personally God has called me to become some things that he expects me to be when he appears, all right? Not only that, he has callings and things he expects for me to do. How am I going to fulfill all of that between here and there? Can I tell you what the answer is? It's in verse 11. It is grace. Look. The sufficiency of grace goes even far beyond salvation for us to become who God would have us to become. And I want to show you how this works in these three verses. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture uh, as, uh, as Paul begins to unfold this. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Now, I'll be honest with you. As we study the Word of God, sometimes as a preacher, as a teacher, as a pastor, whatever you might be doing, as you study the Word of God, sometimes you want to skip over uh, the, what you might feel is, all right, everybody already knows that point, all right? Verse 11, I would think you're here on a Sunday night, you, you, you believe verse 11, I think all of us do, right? For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. But I want you to notice 
The Bible says that grace brought salvation, that it appeared and brought salvation to all men. You've got to get point number one or you won't get point number two. But point number one is super simplistic, but stick with me, you'll understand it in a moment. I want you to notice number one tonight. By grace, we know the Lord. By grace, we know the Lord. Now look, uh, I know there's only a couple amens on that one. You're like, all right, look, you mean I got out in 105 degree weather? To come back to church and you're not revealing to me one of the great mysteries of the oracles of the word of God. All right, stick with me. I promise. There's a blessing in this. There is a reason that Paul puts the grace of God for salvation at the beginning of what he's about to say. He is going to show the scope of the grace of God by first referring to the grace of God bringing, bringing salvation. Now, why is that important? I'm going to show you. Do you recognize the great lengths that salvation, that grace had to go to bring salvation unto all men? Now, what are we talking about tonight? We're talking about getting from here to there, becoming all that God wants us to become, and doing all that God wants us to do, which seems overwhelming. But he tells us that grace is sufficient. And he begins by reminding us that it was by grace that salvation came to all men. What is he doing? He's showing us the great lengths of grace. Think about it this way. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a person who is outside the reaches of grace. And to that I say, wow. Now, what do we start doing? I'm going to show you how my mind works, and hopefully there's a carnal person in here too that'll think how I think. The first, when I start thinking about all men being saved, I think about people like Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden. Think about people who were responsible for the deaths of thousands, Hitler, millions of people. But can I tell you, it took grace to save me just like it would have taken grace to save them. Bible says that the grace of God hath appeared unto all men. All men. Now, why is he telling him that? Well, listen, no matter who they are, what they've done, or where they've been, he's showing them the scope of grace. Why? Because the temptation is for you and I to get on this journey headed towards the appearing of the Lord. Evidently, he's coming back that way, okay? Because we keep going to the right, all right? I guess east is going to be that way. You know, he's going to come back. And then on the way from here to there, we are going to get overwhelmed. I don't know that I can be this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can become that in my life. So he starts with the greatest work of grace, which is what? Salvation. He says, listen to me. There is nothing between here and there that God's going to require of you. There is no calling that God is going to lead you to. There is no person that God is going to call you to rise up to that you cannot. Why? Because the grace of God hath appeared unto all men. The grace of God has brought salvation and could have reached every man that would receive the free gift of God that salvation came through with what? Verse 11, with grace. Now, here's what he's doing. He says, I want you to understand just how capable grace is. If it could save your soul, and by the way, that was the greatest work of grace that will ever be done. You know, as uh, trying to be a Christian dad in 2023, you may look at, at your kids and, and how God calls you to raise them, and you look at the world and you're thinking, I don't think I can be that dad. By grace you can. By grace you can. Why? Watch this. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared to all that. Well, here's what he's doing. 
He's setting the stage, letting them know, okay, the greatest work of grace was done when you got saved. Now from here on out, there's nothing that will come close to that. There's no calling on your life that you can abandon and say, I can't do that. I can't be that. I can't rise to that challenge because the grace of God that brought salvation to you will help you become what God's calling you to be. You see, that's why he put salvation first. He said, I want you to know that saving of your soul was done by the grace of God. Think about who's writing here, Paul. I would say if there was anybody in the word of God who was acquainted with grace, it's Paul. Very acquainted with grace. I think about who he was, who he became. As a matter of fact, let's turn there together. 1 Corinthians 15, I'll show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to follow. Let's follow Paul's life just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to look down. uh, Verse 10. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But, well, go back to verse 9. We need some context. The very end of verse number 9, watch what he says. I persecuted the church of God. Mm. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So watch. Here's Paul, well acquainted with grace. He says, like, I'm doing what I'm doing. He's writing to the church at Corinth. All because of the grace of God. Now, stick with me. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're following through his life, and I want you to see something. This is a passage you know well, but I want to connect the dots if we could. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and look down to, uh, if you would, verse 7. The Bible says, unless I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. What was it? We don't know. But it bothered Paul bad. So how do you know? Well, he says, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. I'll be honest with you. If anybody has a prayer life that I believe their prayers would be answered, I feel like it would be Paul. And yet Paul prayed three times for it to go away, and it was not God's will. Why? God wanted to teach him a valuable lesson about something. What was it? Verse 9 tells us. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now watch Paul's reply. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. I want you to stop right there. Verse 8, he says, God, this is hard. God, this hurts. Verse 9, God says, grace is sufficient. And before verse 9 is ever over, he says, I glory in my infirmities. Now watch, watch. He never asked a fourth time. He believed in the sufficiency of grace. Watch, watch. Context. Paul understood grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. God, this hurts. God, I'm trying to be what you want me to be before you're appearing. God, would you take this thorn away? God says, Paul, grace is sufficient. Paul says, oh, I know about grace. Therefore, I'll glory in my infirmities. That's how much confidence he had in grace. Can I tell you tonight, I honestly believe that our confidence in God working in us and through us until his appearing is going to have a lot to do with our understanding of grace. If we just understood how sufficient it was, you say, well, how do we understand how sufficient it is? Just remember, for by grace are you saved. 
Remember where God brought you from. Remember the life that God changed. Look at who you are now, and we may not be all that God desires we be, but thanks be to God through his grace, we're not what we used to be. How did that happen? Grace? He says, okay, it's sufficient. If it was sufficient there, it'll be sufficient here. Tonight I want you to understand, folks, the grace of God that saved us is the grace of God that will be our companion on this journey to arrive at his appearing, not just surviving, but thriving and becoming who God would have us to be. Now, I want to give you a few quick things, and I'll give you the second thing. Oftentimes in our life, we make shipwreck. Oftentimes, we make in our life, we break down and we're broken, and we get to places where we realize, I am not ready for the appearing of the Lord. If you were to come back right now, I'm not happy with who I would be, and I'm not happy with my home, and I'm not happy with whatever it is in your life. But here, watch this. Watch this. Good news. The grace that saved you is the same grace that can salvage you. All right? I mean, look, uh, the devil wants you to quit. The devil wants you to give up. And the devil wants you to just say, you know what? Cruise control until the rapture. I hope I got more pluses than minuses, and maybe I'll hear well done. No. No. Don't give up on grace. The grace that saved you can salvage you. Look at Jonah. Oh, my goodness. Man down there in the belly of the whale, and oh, God salvaged his life. God used him to bring about revival. Hey, don't give up on yourself. Why? You say, well, there's nothing about me. It ain't you. It's the grace of God. Paul says, not I, but the grace of God was working in him. Hey, we've got to let that saving grace that saved our soul and brought us to where we are at carry us all the way on to the finish line of that glorious appearing of God. That's what John Newton said when he wrote Amazing Grace. His grace has brought me safe thus far. And it's going to be grace that leads us on. Number one, number one, what does grace do? What grace does is by grace we know the Lord. Now, why is that important? Here's the good part, okay? You look down to verse 12. Verse number 12, Titus 2. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, comma. Miss Pam will tell you I love commas. She has to proofread things that I write, and for some reason, I just, I love the comma, and uh, a lot of times, I'll put them where they don't need to be, and she helps me with that. I'll give her letters to uh, proofread. Miss Pam, would you proofread this letter? And she'll, she said, all right, I said, I don't even have to read it again. If you, if you say it's right, it's right. If Miss Pam says it's right, it's right, okay? Notice there's a comma after verse 11. That means the thought is not done yet. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, and watch what that grace goes on to do. Teaching us. Teaching us. What is he teaching us to do? Well, keep reading. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live. So the grace of God that brings salvation unto all men, watch, we don't abandon it at salvation. We carry it with us, and grace teaches us how to live. Aren't you thankful tonight that the grace of God is that constant companion with us, ushering us into the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why number two, notice, by the grace, by grace we know we can live. By grace we know we can live. Notice the first word in verse 12. What does grace do? The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us teaching us. It's through grace, watch, that we learn how to live. It's an ongoing process. I'm thanking our, our Father, I'm thankful our Father does not require perfection of us right after we get saved. 
I'm thankful for that. Why? Because I've been saved, oh my goodness, do the math, over 30 years. And I'm still falling short of the standard that I want to be when he appears. Fall short. How do we get there? The Bible says, watch, the grace that appeared teaches us. Teaches us. What does that mean? It's an ongoing process. Remember that torch, that Olympic torch? It's not just crossing the line. It's getting there with that torch lit. Now watch what grace will do. Verse 12, boy, there's a lot of meat there. We'll just skip through it right quick. The Bible says, teaching us that denying ungodly lust. Teaching us that denying ungodly or, or, or uh, worldly lust. Now, this is, this is amazing. Watch this. As we make this journey to the appearing of the Lord, knowing he's coming back, on the, on the way there, I'm going to have to say no to some things. That means I'm going to have to deny some things. And you're thinking to yourself, there is no way I can get from here to there with all of the distractions of this life and of this world. But watch, by grace you can deny. The very same grace of God that brings us salvation gives us the power to do what? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Now, here's what's beautiful. That denying ungodliness is not you denying it in somebody else's life. Remember the temperance movement? I wasn't around for that. Uh, but man, I remember those guys and ladies, man, running around with axes. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, maybe not. All right, going around and they're smashing whiskey barrels and smashing the stills and all that uh, during that movement. I mean, getting rid of all of that stuff that's out there. All the alcohol, all that stuff. They're just bashing it. They were denying people that. Now, wouldn't it be great if God allowed us to do that? I'm going to be put in charge of denying ungodliness in your life. I'm going to follow you around and deny the ungodliness. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about self-denial. The grace of God gives me the power of self-denial. Now, this is beautiful. Watch. In verse 11, grace brings the opportunity for salvation. But then after we get saved, grace gives the opportunity for empowerment. That I can say no. I can say no. Every young person, you ought to learn verse number 12. Why? Because you're going to need that teaching us that denying ungodliness. What does that mean? The word deny means I am denying my self-interest. What I want and I like, I can say no. I can say no. You know the greatest rivalry in my life is my interest versus God's interest? That's the greatest rivalry. You thought it was Alabama LSU. I know, but no, no. There's a greater one than that. It is my interest versus God's interest. What I want, what did Paul say, Romans 7, 23, there's a war going on in here. My interest versus God's interest. Can I tell you, watch, our interest will be no excuse at the appearing of the Lord because grace says I can deny my interest. I can say no to self. I'm not going to ask you for examples tonight, but I am assuming that all of us deal at different times with things our self wants to do. Yeah? Things yourself wants to say, places yourself wants to go, things that yourself wants to be a part of, things that yourself does not want to be part of that we knew, do want to be part of. The Bible says I can deny that. That means that I can disregard my own interest that is strong as this flesh is. And boy, it's strong, isn't it? I can say no. The Bible says grace helps me do that. The other day I had a phone call going down the road and Les was sitting next to me and she said, who is that? And I said, hey, look, I don't know, it's one of these... Uh, 
uh, either a spam or, or it's usually the blood people down the road wanted me to give blood. I don't know who gave them my number, uh, but I don't appreciate you for giving them my number. Uh, they call me from Arkansas and California and Tennessee. They're smart. They keep going back doors. And uh, Les said, have you ever tried blocking the number? Uh, no. I just get so tired of these people calling and, oh, my goodness, the phone's ringing again. I can't tell who it is. Is this a preacher? Is this a missionary? Should I answer it? She said, you ought to try blocking those calls. I'm like, I hadn't thought about that. So now I enjoy blocking those calls. They'll probably be calling from Utah tomorrow, you know. They didn't go around the California end. Now they're going to go from Utah. I have the power to block them. So you know what? I, I'm not going to answer this spam call. No, I don't have student loans. Thank the Lord. I don't need help paying for something I don't have. And if you don't know that I don't have them, then you're just robo-calling. But I have the power to block that. As a Christian, you have the power to deny what's going to hold you back from being who God wants you to be at his appearing. We can deny that. How? By the grace of God. Notice verse 11. For the grace of God, it brought salvation. And then it teaches us that denying ungodliness, and then watch this, worldly lust. It's amazing when you look up the word godliness in this passage. The word godliness is mentioned 15 times in Scripture, 11 times are in Timothy and Titus. It's a theme. Could I just encourage you, at the appearing of the Lord, godliness is going to be a theme. It's going to be on the test. Godliness or godlikeness, how do I do that? Well, I do that by that grace in verse 11. It teaches us denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Watch this. Worldly lust. Worldly lust, what is that? Well, it's the character of our age. There's nothing more than the devil would like than for our children, our homes, our churches to adapt and to adopt the character of the age. That we get on board with the fads and trends of what the world calls worship and what they desire rather than what thus saith the Lord that would be pleasing to him in his appearing. How do we deny that? Well, the Bible says we do it by grace. Keep reading. I'm going to hurry. Worldly lust, we should live soberly. Soberly means temperately. That means with self-control, I can be sober. I, I've never drank alcohol. Uh, I've told you before, the closest I've ever come to not being in my right mind is at the dentist office. And uh, I have passed that joy along to my daughter when she goes to the dentist. She comes back and she's got the little marks on her nose where... She's been making sure that it doesn't hurt while they're, you know, and they're polishing her teeth and all that. And boy, you all of a sudden take an inhale of that stuff and your toes start tingling a little bit. And next thing you know, you just don't care anymore. Until that drill comes on. <laughs> and you come right back down to earth really, really quick. $40 down the drain, all right? It was nice while it lasted. That drill brings you back down to earth quick. We're not soberly minded, all right? Now, if we're not careful, the ways of the world will intoxicate us. That we're not soberly minded in our thinking. Watch this. How do we combat that? The grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness, worldly lust. We should live soberly. By the grace of God, you can. Isn't that great? I don't have to live in fear of, of ungodliness and worldly lust. I don't have to live at bay because of its power. Because by the grace of God, I can deny that. Now then watch this in verse 12. So, Denying ungodliness, that's fighting off defensive, worldly lust, defensive, soberly, defensive. Now watch what it says. We're going to be living righteously. That's going on the offensive. 
So not only do I get to fight off the urges of this life and this world, I get to go on the offense and live right before Almighty God. How do I do that? By grace. By grace you can, young people. What a blessing for them to know. The same grace that saved them is the same grace that can sanctify them and get them to the appearing of the Lord and be pleasing to him. By the grace of God. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, church member, could I just encourage you tonight? Let's, listen, let's not excuse Let's not excuse our humanity. Let's not say, you know, well, uh, you know, it's a tough world. We're living in all that. It doesn't matter. Grace says we can. They need to know grace can. Now, folks, if we could get this tonight, I promise you, we could look forward to the appearing of the Lord and not fear it, but be motivated to be what he called us to be when he gets here. The last thing right there in verse 12, the Bible says, righteously and godly in this present world. You know, a lot of times we think about what's going to be like in heaven. I cannot imagine in a fleshly body what it's going to be like not to be tempted to sin. I, I, don't, I can't imagine what that's going to be like. To be completely spiritual. A new body like my father. I, I don't know, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. To not have the draw and the fear of the carnal flesh that we live in that can turn in an instant to where one moment we're walking with God, next minute we're out of the will of God. It happens. Now, I can't imagine what that's going to be like. It's going to be wonderful. And I look forward to it. Paul would go on to say in Romans, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me out of this stuff? I hate this stuff. It gets me in so much trouble. But can I tell you, it doesn't have to get me in trouble. The grace of God says, watch, I can deny it. But wait a minute. Oftentimes we look forward to that life, in that life, in that place with God, when, my goodness, we will finally be shed of the power and influence of this stuff in our life. But you know the context of verse 12 is really summed up in the last four words. In this present world. He's telling us by grace. By grace, you can be in control of this stuff down here. By the grace of God. You're thinking, well, I just don't know if that's possible. It is. The Bible says, verse 11, that same grace that brought salvation, it teaches us. So by grace, we know how to live. And finally, let's get down to the good part before we close. The Bible says, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you would, watch the progression. Grace took us from lost to saved. And then verse 12, grace wants to take us from being saved all the way across to being sanctified. That means separated from the world for the use of God. So watch, from lost to saved, from saved to sanctified. And now it takes one more step in verse 13. What that grace in verse 11 wants to do for us. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Number three tonight. The great links that grace can go in our life. By grace, we know to look. By grace, we know to look. Now, let me explain this before we close. Looking is not just your eyes on the skies. When the Bible says, I'm looking for that, I'm going to go stand in my front yard and I'm going to stare up at the sky waiting for Jesus to come back. No, we've got too much to do to do that. Many years ago, there was going to be a meteor shower and heard about it, and, and Leslie and Miley and I, it was in the winter. We got toboggans on, and we went, and we laid a blanket out in our driveway, and we just stared up at the sky, waiting on those stars to start falling, and our neighbors probably thought we were nuts. 
we're just sitting out there looking up at the sky, and we'd see one here, and we'd see one there, and we're just staring up at the sky, waiting for that. That's not what God's talking about when he says in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope. Here's what he's saying. Watch. When he says looking for that blessed hope, here's what he means. Living for that moment. Living for that moment. Now, you say, do you know all that this world has to offer and all the temptations and trials, all that, and you want me to look for a day in the future? Absolutely. How do you do that? By the grace of God. You can. Watch what he says. Looking for that blessed hope. Can I tell you something? His appearing, look, is just as real as your salvation. His coming back to take his children home is just as real. It is a fixed point on the Father's calendar. It is there. I've got, to, I've got things to do this week, things on my calendar that I have to do, meetings I have to be at, phone calls, appointments I have to go to. They are fixed on my calendar, uh, but sometimes I have to move things around. Can I tell you, his appearing is fixed. He knows when he's coming. And he's coming just as sure the second time as he did the first time. And here's what he says, I want you, by the grace of God, to live for that moment. That's what looking for that blessed hope means. Think about the temptation of Christ as we close. If Satan would tempt Jesus by getting him to look, isn't that not what he did? Hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. Hey, look at this. If Satan would tempt Jesus that way, what makes you and I think that he's not going to do the same with us? You see, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms in the world. How foolish is Satan? They're already his. He can have whatever he wants. He was just trying to get his eyes off of the moment that he was living for when he would go up Mount Calvary and die on the cross and rise again for you and I so that we could be saved. Now, folks, understand this tonight. With all the distractions in the world, Satan says, hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. I'll give you this. By the grace of God... You can look and live for that moment. Because at the end of the day, can I tell you, that's all that's going to matter. That we live for then. That's why we set our affections on things above. How do we do that? By the grace of God. Folks, grace has gone through great lengths, watch, to bring salvation, to teach us to be sanctified, and then we get to the place where we're ready for the appearing of the Lord. By the grace of God, we can. You say, well, do you know what kind of world we're living in? It's over 100 degrees every day. Wildfires, hurricane hitting California, all these things happening. Can I, can I just encourage you? Be careful getting distracted. Remember, Satan can't destroy you. He'll distract you. Be careful looking at all that because you'll start living for what you're looking at. You start looking at that moment in the appearing of the Lord, you start living for that, and by the grace of God, when he comes, watch, it's not something you're fearful of, it's not something you're worried about, it's something you're looking forward to, because the grace of God not only got you to that point, he got you there the way God wanted you to be. So tonight our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want, I want to ask you this.